How you doing today? Everybody happy? Excited to be alive? Woo! Yeah! It's another beautiful day. Very excited to be here. And uh, we are going to continue our series called This Little Light. We're in part four of a series that's dealing with how do we as Christians let our light shine. We are called to receive the light of Christ and to share that light with the world, and that can be a challenging process. Even though the message of the gospel is incredibly beautiful, incredibly wonderful, amazing, and applies to every human being on the planet, when we let our light shine, sometimes there's negativity that comes our way. You know, there's, it's a dark world, and it can be difficult to let our light shine. And so this is a series about uh, being a believer in a dark world, and how do we manage that? And the first thing we talked about was receiving the light. If we don't have the light of Christ within us, we've got nothing to share, of course. So we must first receive the light of Christ. Jesus came, baby in a manger, the light that gives life to all men came into the world, and we can receive that new life in Christ We're ready to receive it. We need to receive it first. When we receive that life, we are given the right to become children of God. We have an inheritance. We have a lineage. We have a place in God's kingdom when we receive the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Then we have to protect that light. Because as we go through life, difficulties happen, right? There are harsh things that go on, and it can cause us to, to shrink in our faith. It can cause the light within us to become darker and dimmer. And so we need to defend ourselves against the onslaught of evil and sin and difficulty in this world so we don't get discouraged and lose our faith. And so we talked about a couple weeks ago the full armor of God, being able to put on armor, If we are in the middle of a spiritual battle and we're going through all these difficult things and God has provided armor for us that we have to put on, shouldn't we put it on? Why walk into battle without a helmet, without a shield? You know, why do that when it's available? God knew we'd walk through difficulties and there is armor for us to put on so that we can protect the light within us. Then uh, last week, we talked about knowing what day it is. It's very important to understand what day it is if we're going to let our light shine because there are different realities at different times in history. And today's day is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says this. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That's an amazing verse. Can you receive God's grace in vain? Can God's grace be all over, all over everywhere and you just don't benefit from it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that in a, a little bit more in a second. But verse 2, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor Now is the day of salvation. So today is the day of salvation. That's a very important day. It's important to understand now is the time of God's favor. 
Today is the day of salvation. If we don't understand that, we're going to interact in the world the wrong ways. Today, there's, there's mistakes people make with that. Like, for example, today is the day of judgment. Is today the day of judgment? No, today's the day of salvation. Now's the time of God's favor. We aren't supposed to look at all the things that are wrong with everybody and, you know, put them on those people. It isn't the day of judgment. It's not the time to bring condemnation. It's the time of God's favor. It's the day of salvation. So we don't want to bring judgment. Another mistake people make with that is thinking that the day of salvation, the time of God's favor, will last forever. Guess what? This is a temporary, wonderful period of time. And the day of judgment is coming. Every knee will bow. And how we deal with today will affect what that day will be like. Now we can receive the light of Christ. We can uh, become children of God. We can have our sins forgiven, and then the day of judgment will go really well. Or we can reject God, push Him away, and then the day of judgment will go very, very poorly. And some people think, well, this day of God's favor will last forever. God's never going to bring judgment. Guess what? He will. And it will be very strong. And we want to appreciate the fact that the day of salvation is temporary and we must grab it. Another mistake people make with understanding what day it is is thinking that there is no law in the day of salvation. Hey man, it's all grace. I can do whatever I want. We're all sinners, man, so I can do anything and get forgiven and guess what? Woo! do whatever. Well, there is Christ's law. You know, uh, we talked about last week Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, uh, is, it, is it important to not murder? Yes. So like if you want to strangle somebody, refraining from that is really a good thing, right? That's, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that's step one. Refraining from strangling them is Old Testament law. Do not murder. Great. Then Jesus says, now change your heart towards that person. Now love your enemies. Which is harder? Refraining from strangling someone and then daydreaming about it? (laughs) Or praying for those who persecute you And learning to understand how to see someone through God's eyes rather than through your own. Oh man, the second one is way more difficult. There is law in the day of salvation and it's Christ's law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So there is a code that we walk underneath. Even in the day of salvation, even in the time of God's favor. Mistake number four that we talked about last week, my personal dispensation should match the historical dispensation. Uh, You can receive God's grace in vain. Jesus died for your sins. That doesn't mean you're forgiven. You have to receive the forgiveness that he offered. You have to ask for it, receive it. Just because Jesus died on the cross for your sins doesn't mean you're forgiven. There are billions of people on this planet unforgiven that Jesus has died for. That's craziness. But it's true. There are people who are lost. There are people who are in rebellion against God. There are people who are experiencing judgment from God right now, even though now is the time of God's favor, because they're running from God. They're rebelling against God, and they're 
reaping the consequences of that. So just because today is the day of salvation doesn't mean we automatically live in the favor of God. We have to receive that. We have to grab hold of it. It just means that you can. Everyone on the planet can stand in God's favor. But you have to receive Christ for that. The last one we talked about last week was disagreeing with God on what day it should be. Wanting it to be the day of judgment instead of the day of salvation. We need to have God's heart with these sorts of things. Uh, So that's what we've covered so far. If you want to get caught up, the sermons are online. You can hear them in their entirety. But let's uh, pray and move on to new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us this morning. Continue to be with us. Help us to see what you've got for us, each one individually. We're all going through different things. We all have uh, different obstacles in our way. Uh, And so we all need a little bit of a different touch from you. And so I pray by your spirit that you would touch each of us with what we need right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to look at Jesus. Title of the sermon is Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Do you know, Jesus was periodically insulted when he was doing his ministry on this earth. People would insult him. And one of the ways that they insulted Jesus was by calling him a friend of sinners. They would point the finger and say, oh, Jesus, he's a friend of sinners. And they'd say it in an ugly way, I'm sure. He was insulted by being called a friend of sinners. And so... Today we're going to look at how did Jesus interact with and relate to people who weren't following God, who were messing up their lives and causing all kinds of problems, who were lost, who were in rebellion against God, all those sorts of things. How did Jesus interact with sinners? And then next week we're going to talk about how did Jesus interact with the religious elite of the day. And so we're going to learn what not to do in letting our light shine next week. But this week, <laughs> we're going, and we'll also know why they wanted to crucify him, because he was quite straightforward. Um, but this week, we're going to talk about how did Jesus interact with sinners? Now, the word sinner is a tough one in our culture. We don't like the word. People get all upset when you use the word. So I'm going to translate it into modern English. You know how you need to translate the concepts into the language of the people? The word sinner no longer should be in the English vocabulary because there's just so much gunk connected to it. So let's use this word instead of sinner. Let's use the word bad choices. I am someone who has made bad choices. I am a sinner. It's the same thing. Bad choices. We like the word or the phrase bad choices. I've made bad choices. I've sinned. That's what the Bible means by sin. It means bad choices. So how did Jesus interact with people who made bad choices? Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Luke chapter 15. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So Jesus was speaking, and the bad people, the ones that make bad choices, the ones who do this wrong and that wrong and have messed up their families, and, and these people, the people who were uh, tax collectors, basically means shady business deals. You know, it means that you rip people off and do things wrong and, and cheat. And then uh, sinners... Just bad choices, you know, do dumb things and cause yourself problems. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing in the day of salvation. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they were watching people who needed God go to Jesus and they were disgusted by it. They were unhappy. These rotten people aren't getting thrown out of the meeting by Jesus. Who does he think he is? Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. (laughs) And then actually Jesus tells them three parables. So there were these people who need a touch from God. And then there were Uh, these people who were disgusted by that. And Jesus is in the middle of that mess. And so he tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, where there's the 99 that are still in the herd, but one has wandered off. He says, go get it. And then there's rejoicing. And the parable of the lost coin, where you've got Nine gold coins, and you're supposed to have ten. Sweep the house, find the one. Oh, and then the uh, the parable of the lost son. He tells those three, the prodigal son, those three parables. And so, what Jesus does is he makes an incredible paradigm shift. Andy Stanley pointed this out super well, so I'm stealing this uh, way of expressing it from him, but. You know, before the day of salvation, people who made bad choices were not welcome. In fact, they were often pushed out or worse. And Jesus says, no, these are people who are valuable. These are people who are important. These are people we should seek after. So Jesus comes against the grumpy religious people And he tells parables about the value of the sinner. And so how do we understand how Jesus interacted with sinners? Again, people who make bad choices. It's very simple. You know, some things in the Bible are complicated. But some things in the Bible are very, very simple. And this one is very, very simple. Here's how Jesus interacted with people who are separated from God, who are doing stupid things, who are causing all kinds of problems, tax collectors and sinners. Here's what Jesus did. He connected with them, and he invited them to change. He connected with them, talked to them, hang out with them, eat meals with them, and then he would say, you can have a better life. You don't need to live like this. You don't need to be doing these things. And sometimes he would say, quit doing this. (laughs) And he was straightforward. But 
he didn't just love and accept people. He connected with people, and then he told them, there's more in life than this for you. You don't have to be mired in this junk. You can live a new life. You can live abundant life. You, you, there's something more for you. So he connected with these people, and he invited them into a new life. Over and over and over That's how he did that. Now, I am glad that today is the day of salvation. It hasn't always been that way. And before we read the next next interaction Jesus had with a sinner, someone who made bad choices, let's read from a different day not the day of salvation. Let's go to Numbers chapter 15. Does anybody, anybody collect firewood, burn wood? Anybody? You ever done that? Yeah. You ever done that on Saturday? Collected wood on a Saturday? Someone did that in Numbers chapter 15. Let's see how it went. Numbers 15, 32. While the Israelites were in the desert, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Yay, day of salvation. Yay, time of God's favor. Yay, Jesus, friend of sinners. But can you understand the tension? Oh, collecting wood on Saturday, huh? Bring your kids, we're going to kill him. Very strong. This is Moses, our, our happy Moses. You know, bringing the Ten Commandments. This is, this is Moses. This is our God. This was a different day. So let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 8. A very, very famous Bible story about the woman caught in adultery and understand the day of salvation was just dawning and this day of the law was still in everyone's mind because they were going from, oh, you were collecting wood on Saturday? We know how this goes. You know, you get your good old stone and rock, you know, and let's all, let's all have a good time. It was transitioning from that day into this time of God's favor while this was going on. So, Gospel of John, chapter 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn he appeared again, that's Jesus, in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? After reading Numbers 15, can you feel the tension? Because like yesterday, she gets stoned to death. So all these people have seen that happen in their lives. It's part of their culture. But they know Jesus is a friend of sinners. So they're trying to catch him. Next verse. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. While they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, this is the only recording of Jesus' writing. And I think it's fun to try to fill in the gaps. It can be dangerous when you try to fill in the gaps in the scriptures, right? Like, what was he writing? This is, this is all interesting stuff. And I heard one guy one time say, you know, I think he was writing down the names of the sins of the people in the crowd who were accusing this woman. Who knows? But that would have been fairly effective, I would think. Verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus connects with her and invites her to change invites her into a new life. Go. Quit making bad choices. Don't do stuff like that. It's only hurting you. Connect with God. Learn His ways. We're getting time multiplied here. This is fantastic. Now, when these people brought this woman before Jesus and said, the law commands us to stone such women, there's there's a yucky thing there, right? There's like a bloodthirstiness. You know, have you ever noticed the religious bloodthirstiness? There can be this super harsh, super angry, like, must judge now, like bloodthirstiness. Jesus is not bloodthirsty. Instead, he's merciful. The transition from the day of the law into the time of God's favor, the day of salvation, 
was coming to pass. And Jesus was saying, hey, don't be, don't be bloodthirsty. Be merciful. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. He was a tax collector. So when Jesus is insulted by being called a friend of sinners, it's being a friend of people like Matthew. Called Saint Matthew in certain circles. Matthew of the book of Matthew. Tax collector. Jesus ate with him. Let's read that account in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, it's amazing sometimes how quickly things are stated in the Bible. Have you noticed that, that you'll see one verse and it must have taken an hour for that to happen? I don't think that a reading of verse 9 is that there was a tax collector's booth right there and Jesus was walking by and went like this. Follow me, you know. I don't think it was like that, you know. I think it was more of, hi, how you doing? And Jesus connected and talked and asked questions and found out what was going on and told Matthew, you know, there's a better way than what you're experiencing. There's a better life. And I can bring you into that. You should come with me. And over time, through that discussion, Matthew says, yes. I'm going to be done with this. I don't want to cheat people. I don't want to be that person. And he quits his job and goes with Jesus. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So Matthew, being a tax collector and a sinner, has various friends who are tax collectors and sinners. And he's like, Jesus is having dinner at my house. You got to come. So the disciples are there. This is a big event. You know, there's a bunch of people there. And doesn't that seem like a good thing? Jesus is at Matthew's house. The tax collectors and sinners there. They're intermingling. They're connecting. That seems like a good thing, right? Let's look at the religious people again. Verse 11. While the Pharisees, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this is Matthew writing this down about the dinner that he had at his house with Jesus. I think Matthew heard this. I think Matthew heard the fancy religious people going, 
So you're one of the followers of Jesus. Who is this guy? I mean, he hangs out with the wrong people. He's got to have something wrong with him, right? I mean, he's hanging out with all these messed up goofballs. You know, he's got to be a quack. And I think Matthew overheard that because he wrote it down in his gospel. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What did Jesus mean about that mercy and sacrifice i desire mercy not sacrifice this is a quotation from the book of hosea chapter 6 verse 6 where hosea the prophet is coming against the nation of israel and he's saying to them you're following all the rules but your hearts are wrong you're showing up for church but you're cheating people you're doing these religious things, but you're hurting people. And he says in Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're bringing the proper offering, but your heart isn't right. And God is saying, I want your heart to be right. I don't want you to follow the religious rules and then have a different heart than the heart of God, but I want you to have the heart of God, and then those rules will get followed automatically. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew actually quotes this again. We're not going to read that whole thing. In chapter 12 of Matthew, where Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, if you knew Let's, what is it? Go to verse 7 of chapter 12. 7 and 8. We'll just read those two verses. There's something fabulous in there. Oh, yeah. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. We'll just leave that verse up there. So they're getting all hung up about Sabbath rules. And of course... If you were living in Numbers 15, would you get hung up about Sabbath rules? Yeah, huh? Because if collecting wood on the Sabbath day can get you killed, you're going to want to know, okay, what are the rules? You know, I will follow them very, very closely. You know, and, and that was part of the culture. And Jesus was trying to bring the Sabbath into a place where it was fulfilled where people would spend time connecting with God, building their relationship with God, setting aside the cares of the world to help their relationship with God grow. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And instead, what people were doing with the Sabbath was finding ways to condemn people and point the finger at people and find fault with people, and they were condemning the innocent. Can that happen in religious circles? where you're just sort of trying to live your life and do the best you can, and all of a sudden, everybody hates you. Like, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? Condemning the innocent. 
If you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want your heart to be in the right place. I don't want you to get hung up on a bunch of details. I want you to care about people. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. So I think this interaction is the only place where this is recorded in this way. Um, I think this had a huge impact on Matthew because he's the sinner. And they're criticizing Jesus for being with him. And Jesus talks about mercy versus sacrifice. And Matthew's like, yeah, I like mercy because mercy was shown to me. And it comes up twice in the gospel of Matthew. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So we see Jesus the friend of sinners connecting with people and then calling them into a better life. Jesus did not connect with sinners and get sucked into a worse life, right? That's always the danger for us. I think Jesus had enough character where that wasn't going to happen. But that's the danger for you and me. And so 1 Corinthians 15.33 is still true. Which says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So Jesus interacted with people making bad choices. And he didn't slip into that life Instead, he invited them into a better life. He was not corrupted. He was able to let his light shine in the darkness without getting pulled into the darkness. And that can be a challenge for you and me, right? That can be something that's more difficult to walk through in this life. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be able to connect with people that need Jesus and offer them a better life. You can have a relationship with Jesus. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can walk away from the identity that has condemned you What was wrong with the Pharisees saying, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners? Wasn't it true? What was wrong with it? Here's what was wrong with it. Is when Jesus looks at someone, he doesn't look at their current situation and expand that to the entirety of who that person is. He looks at their current situation and says, that doesn't need to be who you are. You can be someone else. So when the tax collectors say, sinner, or the tax collectors, I suppose they could say that too. But when the Pharisees say, that person is a sinner, they're labeling the person. And that So you carry that now for the rest of your life. You've been labeled. Boom. What Jesus sees 
is, yeah, someone who is living a messed up life but who doesn't have to stay there. Their future doesn't have to be determined by their past. And so that's the danger of judging and labeling is you predict the person's future. The time of God's favor, the day of salvation says, your future can be different than your past. The labels you have been uh, stuck with can be taken away and you can be born again into something different. That's why it's wrong to judge. But we need to have mercy instead. We're going to close here in just a moment, but we're taking communion today. I'm going to invite the ushers and the prayer team forward. Ushers can start uh, handing out communion elements. Prayer teams can get set. We're going to finish with one verse from Romans. Romans 5, verse 8. Very important verse, and it says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, Jesus was insulted by people by being called a friend of sinners. But he didn't stop there. Jesus, friend of sinners. When we read passages like Numbers chapter 15, where you see the Sabbath rules being broken by something that in our culture we wouldn't consider to be really that big of a deal. You're collecting some firewood. Well, carried a death sentence. When we see those things, of course it doesn't make sense to us because we're very used to the day of God's favor. You know, the, the day of salvation. We, we like that. But it helps us to understand the justice of God. God will fiercely defend heaven because he understands the value of it. Sin cannot be in heaven. Bad choices don't get to go to heaven. No one will lie about you in heaven. No one will talk bad about you behind your back in heaven. No one will take anything from you in heaven. No one will use you in heaven. These things won't happen there. So anybody who does those things needs to be taken out of the picture so heaven can be. So God is fiercely defending heaven. So anything that threatens that must be destroyed. That's why it was so harsh in Numbers 15. So there has to be a payment. There has to be a judgment. Jesus wasn't just a friend of sinners who would connect with people and invite them into a new life. Jesus was willing to say, I want the day of salvation to happen. So I will die in the place of the one collecting firewood. I will die in the place of the woman caught in adultery. I will die in the place of the tax collectors and the sinners so that justice can come and God's favor 
can follow. Jesus died on the cross for us while we were still sinners. I wish I had grown up as a believer. But there's a benefit in having found God later in life. And that is that you realize how lost you were. Too many people take all of this stuff for granted. While we were still sinners, while we were the ones making the bad choices, while we were the ones maligning God and his people, he died for us. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. Is that the price was paid to go from the era of Numbers 15 into the day of salvation. And it was a big price. But Jesus saw it as well worth it because he loves us. We're going to take communion together. Then I'll pray and invite people forward for personal prayer. So let's pray here, and then we'll receive communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things that you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for bringing us into a new life. Father, help us to know the great riches of your mercy so that we can share the great riches of your mercy with others. Lord Jesus, we thank you for making this sacrifice that the day of salvation could come, that we could walk in God's favor and for loving us while we were still sinners.